<clears throat> well, folks, um, I love technology. I, I really do. And I've understood that uh, in Anchored on Sunday morning, you've had a lot of fun with technology. And I'm glad I'm somewhere else. Anyway, um, still pining away to be with you on Sunday morning. Uh, today uh, is Monday, and I've been wrestling uh, up in my office and meeting with people uh, here and there and uh, wondering whether I really truly wanted to do the preaching here today or to just show up on Sunday. I really truly would want to. Um, I think we have another week of waiting for the doctor's okay on some things. Um, So I'm going to hold off, uh, even though I would love to be there with you and, and, um, and just having fellowship with you. I'll just tell you a little story. I was walking across the campus this morning after I had met with some of the ladies from one of our ministries, and I'm walking across and somebody's saying hello to me, and I'm sorry, but I don't know who they are. And they came up to me and they told me that they've been in Anchored and they've been seeing me doing these video takes. And so I don't know them, but they know me. So that means my first Sunday back, I need to get to know you. Uh, I want to know your names. Um, it used to be that uh, I could memorize names very quickly and easily, but be patient with me. I will get them all down. Uh, I want to get them all down. I want to know you. That's what fellowship in the Lord is. We we love one another. We care for one another. We bear one another's burdens, and uh, we want to do that. So uh, just to let you know, Don is still in the same um, position. Some days are good. Some days are not so good. She uh, is finding more and more freedom uh, to get up and about, which is very good. And uh, we're just waiting on the doctor to get the approval on one particular um, drug that should be able to help her. At least that's what we're told. She has another week and a half until she has another infusion, and we'll see what happens from there. And it's um, it's interesting uh, to be in this position. But nevertheless, we're on a particular subject today out of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been following us along and you know what's coming up, uh, you know where we are. And so I'm going to start with prayer and then we can go into the message. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these blessed people who are so patient. And uh, Lord God, I pray for that day that we can all be together. Whether it's here or there, we want to be together. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we've been going through the Beatitudes, and and I have thoroughly loved this, we're reminded that those Beatitudes are characteristics of a true believer. This is what a true believer is going to look like. This is what uh, someone who confesses that they are uh, and they belong to Jesus Christ, this is what they should be looking like. These are the things that a Christian is known for. The believer is poor in spirit. He is poor in spirit, meaning that he's realizing his spiritual bankruptcy. He can see how much of a sinner he truly is and, and how much he really does deserve hell. But God has given him something much, much better in Jesus Christ. The believer is one who mourns over their sin. I, I, I just mourn over their own sin, but they mourn over sin. They see it in the world. I mean, uh, you, you wake up any morning and you turn on the news or you turn on the news in the evening and you see all the sin that's going on there, the guns and the fighting and the rioting and all of that kind of stuff. We mourn over that kind of sin. The world is not getting better, folks. It's getting worse. 
A believer is one who is gentle in spirit, portraying the character of Jesus himself, because uh, we truly do want to put on Christ. We want to put on that gentleness that he has shown us so often, his compassion. The believer is one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. We want the right things to be done, whether it be for us or for anyone. We want the right kinds of things to be done. The believer is one whose heart's desire is to be pure. A result, one of the results, and as I tried to portray that last week, one of the results is that then it brings peace. It brings peace wherever possible. Now notice what I said there, wherever possible, so long as it depends upon you. Be at peace with all men, if you can do that. That's what you need to do. These spiritual qualities, though, these characteristics of the believer, are unlike, they're totally unique from this next quality, this next characteristic. Those are going on internally, those other qualities. This particular one is one that's going to be brought to the believer externally. This next beatitude is one that many believers didn't really count on when they became a Christian. I I don't know that we really thought this far ahead that these are going to be something that's going to confirm our walk with the Lord. This is something that happens to them, not in them. Sober, God-fearing believers will be rewarded. Yeah, we are going to be rewarded. Guess what? With persecution. With persecution. When, when you came to Christ, you probably never heard that. Oh, why don't you come to Christ so that you can receive persecution? That's not something that's in the description of a Christian. That's not something that's in the description of the gospel. Come serve Jesus Christ so that you can be persecuted. Uh, come and, and be the Lord's servant here so that you can be persecuted. This is a description of a Christian yeah, it says description as much as gentle is, as much as pure in heart is, as much as being a peacemaker. He's going to be persecuted. Uh, fair to say, uh, and I, I would say this for anybody, none of us, none of us ever thought about that. When I heard the gospel for the first time in 1982 in Montreal, Canada, I never would have thought about persecution as being one of the characteristics that would be in a Christian's life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. That's where we are today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. It says there, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, your Christian actions, your Christian attitudes, it says there that you will be persecuted for them because people are going to see you as different. You're going to stand out from amongst the people in your neighborhood and your relatives and all of this, and you're going to be rewarded for standing out. It's because you're going to be persecuted. Not because you're obnoxious, not because you're difficult to deal with, not because you are unlike them in any other way, but that you are like Jesus Christ. They're going to see things like that in you and And they're not going to like it. They're not going to want it. They may make fun of it. Uh, I can remember once I became a Christian, 1982, I go to my next sales meeting in Chicago, Illinois, and all the salesmen are there, and I had already told them that I had become a Christian, and and they had no problem saying things to me and about me um, about my Christianity. It was open game, so to speak. (laughs) <laughs> they would ask things like, can you still go to a baseball game now? All of those kinds of things. 
my friends, as Pastor John says, listen to this, godliness generates hostility and antagonism from the world. Did you see hear that? Godliness, your godliness will generate hostility and antagonism from the world. He goes on, he says this, the crowning feature, okay, of the happy, that is the blessed, person is persecution. The crowning feature, this, this is the crown that you get, the reward that you get, is that you will be persecuted. You did not hear that in your gospel presentation. I know that. And I got to tell you this, you probably will not give that in your gospel presentation the next time you give a gospel presentation. Why don't you become a Christian? We want you to be persecuted with us. It's not very inviting. Look at verse 11. It says there, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. When they call you names. When they abuse you, reviling you in different ways. No, that's not something that is going to be very attractive to somebody. That is when you are blessed, is what the scripture says. That's what Jesus says. You are blessed, yes. Not when you're obnoxious. We'll come back to that later. But not when you're obnoxious, but when you are like Jesus in his godliness. When you reflect the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what your expectation is. The picture is that there is a blessing for those who have had insults cast upon them, but it's for righteousness' sake. The righteous are persecuted because they are different. The righteous are persecuted for they are different. 2 Timothy, you don't need to turn there, but 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. One night at Grace Community Church, I had a young man come up to me and said, Pastor, I cannot be a Christian. I said, Why? I mean, I had known the young man. I've known him for a few years by then. And I said, so why aren't you a Christian? He said, because I'm not being persecuted. I'm not being persecuted. And, and, and I knew the young man, and I said, well, these are the reasons you're persecuted is because of your godliness. And, and he would tell me about things that happened at work, and I said, you're being persecuted. It's not the same kind of persecution you see in, in some other parts of the world. You're not have, they're not taking your life yet, but that could happen someday. Folks, we are different. We are different. There, there are not drastic persecutions that go on today in the United States. Not drastic persecutions, but persecution does still happen. And uh, something that I need to say, these are not insults or these are not persecutions because of your political view. This has nothing to do with your political view. These are insults because you look like Jesus Christ. And you got to remember this. Jesus Christ was not a Republican. Jesus Christ was not a Democrat. These are insults, persecutions that come upon you because of you looking like, acting like, being like Jesus Christ. Because you stand out from the rest of the world. You look different than the rest of the world. The person who is insulted and demeaned is the person who stands for Christ and his word. Not just because he's obnoxious towards people, but he stands out and he looks different than others. But friends, since the early days of Christianity, that is exactly what has happened to the church. It has been persecuted. 
the early Christians were crucified. They were burned. They were fed to animals. They were lit up as tor- torches. They were ripped apart by animals. They were sold into slavery. And there were families that were taken apart and kids sold to slavery and taken away from their parents. They were killed, murdered, ostracized from society, lost jobs, taken homes taken away from them, all kinds of things. Christianity you need to remember, started at the persecution of the one true, perfect, innocent, and holy man, Jesus Christ. Yet today, persecution continues. It continues in the closing of churches, to the firebombings of churches. It continues to happen to these folks, and they begin to turn against believers because they happen to be intolerant of believers. And they try to kill, and they try to maim, they try to get rid of. I want you to hear this story in the St. James Church Massacre. And it was a massacre. It was a massacre perpetrated by, uh, at the St. James Church of England in South Africa. So the St. James Church of England in South Africa, in Kenilworth, Cape Town, down there at the uh, tip of, uh, of uh, South Africa. It happened on the 25th of July, 1993 by four members of a, a group called the APLA, the Azinian, uh, Arzinian People's Liberation Army. Eleven members of the congregation were killed. Fifty-eight members of that congregation were wounded. They entered the church. They had M26 hand grenades and R4 assault rifles. I have no idea what they are. They threw the grenades, and, and they opened fire on the congregation, killing 11 and wounding 58. There was one man in the congregation happened to have a gun, because you could carry a gun there, and he was able to ward off a lot more murders and deaths and killing. I had the privilege of preaching in that church in 2004. I, I preached at an evening service. I, I didn't even think about this particular massacre. It wasn't until after I got finished preaching that they came to tell me that that was the church that that massacre had occurred in. Recently, I've been reading through a Uh, The Reformation in England, you probably heard me say it a few different times. It it was first published, listen to this, in 1866. But more recently, the Banner of Truth has republished these volumes. And obviously, they've republished it five different times since uh, 1960s. So um, it must be that people want to read it. Well, I happen to be reading it. And I'm reading about different folks. Uh, And since it's the Reformation of England, there was a lot of persecution that went on there. Thomas Bilney was said to be the man who started the Reformation in England. He preached openly in the fields. He brought the saving message of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to the people there. Remember, England up to that point had been Roman Catholic to a degree. His preaching often found his um, expounding on the, uh, against the errors of the Church of Rome. Uh, uh, the, the Roman Church was very entrenched there, and, um, and so he preached against those things, and he preached against the Pope. The Roman Catholic Church is where the opposition came from, uh, and they took him to court, and, and he was condemned. He answered his accusers with uh, God's Word. That's what he did. He picked up the Scriptures and, and, and used his, the Word of God. They accused him of um, fighting against the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church that he was abandoning, and, and he should abandon those things. They were wrong. They were undoctrinal. They were misrepresenting the scriptures. 
The Catholic Church is big on tradition, you got to remember, though. And so uh, that with their lack of understanding of Scripture or even desire for Scripture, as a matter of fact, at this point, they were still holding Tyndale off from sending the Scriptures to England because they didn't want it to come there and affect the people. They'd rather preach and teach in Latin, which nobody understood, than to, to receive the word in English. Bilney was condemned. He was condemned for not believing that the saints of old were the pathway to salvation. Bilney was condemned because he no longer prayed to Mary for his salvation. Bilney was condemned because he no longer believed in the body and blood of Jesus Christ as being the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ for the uh, the, uh, sacrifice of the Mass. Bilney, on the night before he was to be burned at the stake, was having a meal, a, a very genial meal with one of his friends. They, they were sitting there by candlelight and they were talking and, and he was enjoying the company of his friend. And, and his friend asked if he could ask a question. He said, are you afraid? Are you afraid that you're, you're going to go tomorrow to the, to the stake and be burned? <laughs> At that question, he took his hand and he put it over the candle. And he said, it's only going to burn for a little while. That's all he cared about. That just, that's all he mentioned was, I'm going to burn for a little while. He says, no, I don't have a care. He says, my Savior will get me through this. And, and calmly, he continued in his meal as if nothing would affect him. At the burning of the stake the next day, he gets down there. And, and um, just before they set him aflame and, and, and burn him and kill him, he asked God, he says, God, forgive these men because they do not know what they're about to do. That's the same kind of thing that Jesus Christ would have asked. He, he embraced the stake and took it all on himself. He embraced his problem right there. Bilney realized these men, defenders of the Roman church, hated him because of one reason and one reason only, because he truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. That's why he was persecuted. That's why he was condemned. That's why he had to go to the stake and be burned. They wanted to add works to the recipe. That's what the Roman Catholic Church does. Add these works in there and mix it up with the rest of what they have there for salvation when he says, all I need is Jesus Christ and him alone. The real target, though, in persecution is always the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They hate the good. He shines in this world. He's the one who, who brings light to this world. And so they want to get rid of that light because they love their darkness. John, if you want to turn to John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, wonderful portion of Scripture. I'm only going to read a little bit of it. But this wonderful portion of Scripture talks about us being divine and cutting off what needs to be cut off so that we are stronger. But here in John 15, 18 through 19, it says this, If the world hates you, that is, those around you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus' words. The world hates you. It hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. See, if you just participated in all that they participate in, watched their mill movies, and did the kind of things that they do, yeah, they would love you. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. You're different. When I went back for that sales meeting in 19, I'm going to guess it was 1983, it had to be. And they saw me as different. They, they made some jokes, they made some fun and, and all of that. And, and it was all jovial and it's it, fine. It was no persecution, folks, let me tell you. It was not persecution. But that's what the world does. They see you now as different. There's something utterly different from the rest of them. Folks, I read these volumes on the English Reformation. It reminded me that the church has always come through each and every time of persecution, even back to the beginning. As a matter of fact, God has often used persecution to promote his word and makes his church grow in the world. Persecution that came to, the, to uh, Israel when, after Jesus started to spread the church into different parts of the world. That's what it does. That's what it should do. I look at even some of the things that have happened recently uh, with the, the pandemic of COVID-19. It's, it's spread things out much more. We have much more um, uh, technology being used today. God has used persecution. God has used the closing of churches to make sure that his word continues to get out. Remember that even if we are silent, the rocks are going to cry out. I remember right after, almost a week after everything was closed down, I get a call from Johnny Gravino. Bill, can you do some teaching on on Zoom for me in the evening? Right away, starting to get the word out to other places. God has used persecution to scatter his church, to send them into the four corners of the world. Matthew, let's go back there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Obviously, obviously, what Jesus is pointing out here is that it's for the sake of righteousness. And I said this before, but I want to just hone in on this just a little bit. Not for the sake of being obnoxious. Sometimes in giving the gospel, we can be obnoxious. We can, we can be too forthright. We can, we can hover over somebody and, and, and sort of pound away at them. One such situation happened way back when I was in business. One day I was in this office. Um, if you remember, I'm in the fabric business and I'm showing my clients my wares, so to speak. These are interior designers that design hotels, motels, hospitals, that kind of thing. And this particular client was all hotels. One of my, one of my largest um, accounts, okay? And so I'm, I'm in there and they've got 15 to 17 designers. They're all in little booths as they go down um, the way. And, and so I'm calling on them and, and trying to show them my wares. They all know me. I'm a Christian at this point. And down the ways is a a gal down there who's a little antagonistic towards the gospel. She sees me come in the office and I'm, I'm calling on each and every designer as I'm walking down. And she starts loudly describing what happened to her on the weekend. She was on an air flight somewhere. I don't know where. Don't remember. Some lady who was sitting next to her in the um, plane just started hammering. And I mean hammering. The, her description, it was hammering away at her. Wouldn't even let her get up and, and go to the bathroom and just hammering away at the gospel. 
And she did this in a loud voice. She was doing it to embarrass me as I'm coming down the road. And so when I finally get down to her, not the row, down the, the, the row of, of um, office people, and I get down to her and I said, uh, you know, I, uh, please accept my apology for this person. Um, notice I didn't say forgiveness because I didn't sin. It's apology here. Um, but you know what? If you really want to hear what she may have been trying to say, I can tell you. So whenever you're interested in that, please let me know. Please let me know. And so I apologized for those actions, and, and I told her I could speak to her in a, in a much more calm way, and I could answer questions if she had any. Don't be obnoxious when you're giving the gospel. Please don't be obnoxious. Give it because it's precious. It's a gift for whoever you give it to. Jesus says this, persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Not obviously attacking the person and hurting the gospel message. Not hurting the gospel cause. Back to the passage. There is really a dual blessing that that Jesus is speaking about here. That Jesus is giving here for all of us to understand and to hear. There's a dual blessing in this beatitude. Listen to this. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to note something here, folks, in verse 10. It's just like the other Beatitudes in this sense. It's in the third person. It says, blessed are those, or happy are those. However, when we get to verse 11, Jesus changes it a little bit. He he makes it more personal here. And he says this, blessed are you. Blessed are you. He makes it very personal. This is the only beatitude that he does that uses the second person. And I believe it to be very, very significant. Why? Because he's speaking to you. To all of us. To the people who were sitting there with him on the Sermon on the Mount. Happy are you when people insult you. I don't know. I take things pretty personally. I think most of the time I I don't particularly like being insulted, but it says happy are you when you're insulted. Insulted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea is that somewhere in your Christian walk, you should have someone at some point ostracize you or insult you and call you some ungodly name for the sake of the gospel. If you live in a Christian life, you should not be surprised when it comes. And I've had that happen. When I've been as gentle as possible and as winsome as possible, and still people get insulted. The passage does not say if people insult you, but when people insult you. This means it is inevitable. This means it is coming if it hasn't already come. It may be the, the simple chuckle okay, that you may hear when somebody uh, has found out that you're a Christian and they just, you know, that kind of person. Or, or maybe it is being harangued about your beliefs. 
or maybe it's closing down your church, there will be some form of persecution. Maybe when you do not hang around to listen to the perverted jokes and um, they make fun of you. Oh, there he goes again. He doesn't want to listen to these jokes. Maybe losing your job. Maybe not getting the promotion that you wanted. Maybe losing a friendship. Hopefully, though, please take this the right way. Hopefully, this is because of godly actions, godly words that you are insulted. Then it's for the sake of righteousness. Folks, the bottom line, if you are persecuted, persecuted even to the point of death, it is really truly nothing uh, like Bilney did the night before. It's just a little fire. That's all it is. Because you're going to be compared to Jesus Christ. He promises, folks, he promises his blessing upon you as a true kingdom citizen. Verse 11 tells us, go back to verse 11 there. The real reason for this persecution, it comes at the end of the verse. It says, because of me. Because of Jesus. The persecution you are privileged to experience is because of Jesus Christ. The persecution is because you love him more than, and you can fill in the blank, folks. You love Jesus Christ more than whatever it may be. This tells us it is not merely moral conduct, but it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about you being good, but it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, persecution rests upon the radical demands of the gospel. We think about what the gospel is, and we've been talking about the gospel a lot lately, whether it be in in, uh, elder meetings or staff or whatever it is. The gospel is about denying yourself. The gospel is about picking up your cross daily. The gospel is about looking like Jesus Christ. It's Christ-likeness. That's the gospel. If you truly believe in him as the only way of salvation and you have embraced him, you will be persecuted. If you call yourself a believer, act like a believer. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is, is in, an important scripture here. Well, all of 1 Peter, and, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at uh, what the pastors and the elders of Grace Church are preaching through is, is 1 Peter. Somewhere down the road, I'm supposed to have a slot. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Notice what it says there. Get ready. Arm yourself with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men but for the will of God. When we turn to Jesus Christ, we turn away from our lusts. Recently talked to a a man and he's not turned away from his lusts. He's still in his lesson. And, and, and I said, well, what, what about Matthew 18 where it says, cut off the hand and pluck out the eye and cut off the foot to stop from sin? That's how much God hates sin. It put Jesus Christ on the cross. Are you truly his? You keep falling into it. You keep making excuses for yourself. 
For the time already passed is sufficient for you to be have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. That's what the world does. I shouldn't be anywhere near that. I shouldn't be thinking about those things. I shouldn't be participating in those things. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. Folks, when I came back for that sales meeting and I'm now a Christian, I did not party with them anymore. I did not go out carousing and drinking and all of those things. They were surprised because that's not Bill. Where, where did Bill go? And Bill wasn't Bill anymore. He was now Jesus's. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. I have no idea what they said behind my back and frankly, I don't care what they said behind my back. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They are going to give an account. So am I going to give an account, 2 Corinthians 5.10. But let's go back. Go back to verse 12 of Matthew chapter 5. What an incredible verse this is. What an incredible verse this is. Rejoice and be glad. Just as Bilney uh, embraced the stake, that's what we have to do with our persecution. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice means to be exceedingly happy, joyful, gracious. Thank you, God, for bringing this to me. What a day that will be that we can be counted worthy in this situation. Listen to this. Pastor John MacArthur said this, not to be glad when we suffer for Christ's sake is to be untrusting and disobedient. Wow. Not to be glad when we suffer for Christ's sake is to be untrusting and disobedient. We need to see that that's part of who we are now as a believer. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Come follow me. What Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is is that they are commanded to respond with joy and gladness to persecution. Jesus is saying, enjoy this state of happiness knowing who you are serving. That's what we should do is is know we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Bilney, when he was going to, to, to die, knew that it was going to set a flame there in all of England, that the gospel was going to go forth. That's what's more important than his life. Rejoice, because your reward in heaven is great. Folks, it's fine. It's okay. There's nothing wrong. Please get me, uh, understand this. There's nothing wrong with having thoughts about heaven and looking forward to the joys of your salvation. Looking towards your joy of being in heaven with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. You will enjoy salvation's reward if you are his. You will be there with him, enjoying what he has paved the way for you, the victory he had over death. That's what we get to enjoy. 
Now, additionally, these imperatives to our reaction are, are in a present tense, meaning that we'll be rejoicing for a long time, continually. Can I give you an illustration? Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 5? I think this is a good illustration for us. We don't, this is the beginning of the church, and, and here we are in Acts chapter 5, and, and we see what happens to um, the apostles here in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 40. <clears throat> and it says there, they took his advice and, uh, and, calling in the, and calling the apostles, they flogged them. Now, flogging folks, for most of you, um, I, I'm, I'm believing it was 39 lashes. Just, just to get an idea of 39 lashes on your back that they had. They were flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. So they flog them, whip them 39 times, don't speak in the name of Jesus. So they went on their way, verse 41, I love this. They went on their way with, from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered, listen to this, worthy to suffer shame. Worthy to sh- suffer shame for his name. Can that happen today? Can that happen today? 39 lashes and be considered they were rejoicing because they are considered worthy to suffer shame for his name folks that's the gospel that's living for christ paul has an example for us as well and and uh, just to give you a an, another view of this in second corinthians chapter 12 and and you all know this passage people like to make some comments about this, but I'm just going to keep it straightforward here. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, Paul saw this as a way of not exalting himself, but to keep himself in a humble way, because that's what we should be. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So whatever it was, some people say it was an eye ailment, some people say it's some other things, um, and, and some of the others I, I won't even make a comment on. Verse 8, concerning this, I implore the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, wait a minute. If, if he's able to perform miracles, how come he can't perform a miracle to get rid of this? The Lord didn't want it. The Lord didn't want it. Didn't want him to be healed because he wanted him to be in that position. So we need to understand that. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. This is, that's what he was told. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Wow. I want you to see me in this humble estate, my weaknesses. I need Christ. I need everything. Verse 10, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with difficulties. I'm sorry, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. They say that in the early church, the church was built on the backs, on the lives of those who were killed, on those who were persecuted. 
Why? This is why, folks. Why would anybody die for a man who went to the cross? Why would anybody die for somebody who's no longer there? But that's what people were doing. They were taking the insults, the distresses, the persecutions, the difficulties for the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the people who are watching them are saying, no one else is going to do that. They're not going to do it for Caesar. They're not going to do it for this one. They're going to do it for that one. They're going to do it for God Almighty. And that's what they did. Folks, we live in a different kind of place, different kind of time. We truly do. America is the land of pleasure mania. Everything, it's instant pleasure. It's got to be done quickly and it's got to be done now and I've got to have my way. And it's got to be without pain, of course. I can't wait too long for it. It's been ingrained into our society. Commercials everywhere you see it. This whole COVID-19 hysteria is about getting is not about getting ready for the afterlife. Nobody's talking about getting ready for the afterlife. It's avoiding the afterlife as much as possible. As much as possible, even having to think about it. Don't want to think about it. The unbeliever hates to talk about death and the life after. He wants his life now. He wants to enjoy it now. He wants to be free of thoughts of death because he becomes anxious, worried, hysterical even. As Jesus says here, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In a sense, Christians who join with them as upholders of truth in the Messiah. That's what we are. Why does Jesus' message to men and women, especially his disciples, that the persecution of Christians is inevitable? Why should the mockery of society and the rejection by our neighbors be inevitable? Why should governments shut down churches and people be killed for their faith? Why should the church in Finland, and this is my dear friend Miska, with 30 people worshiping outside and in Finland, where it was snowing and raining at the same time, and their attendance is outdoors, not inside a restaurant or anything else, be stopped from worshiping, and the pastors take away the pastor, uh, the, the police take away the pastors. My friend told me that I could, how can that be? Because they don't like the idea of them worshiping Jesus Christ. The reason and the only reason that can be explained is that they hated the conviction that Christ and his word brings on their lives. That's what they're afraid of. Turn with me once more to 1 Peter. I can't not, cannot bring this to you. I don't want to make it a triple negative. But uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what Jesus did for us, okay, folks? This is about what he did for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose. Peter's writing to the churches, the diaspora that had been spread out. And he says, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you 
leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He was our example. He suffered for us when he didn't have to suffer for us. Verse 23, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. When the accusations come flying, the insults come flying, the distresses come flying, remember this verse, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. See, Jesus Christ even knows your heart. Even if you don't have an outward uh, uh, anger towards these people, he knows your heart. And Jesus, while being reviled, did not revile in return, but he suffered for us. I ask myself that question quite often. Why would he do that for me? Why would he do that for me? You see, folks, frankly, when you're called out to be one of his children, Christians are different. We are going to be different. We should be different. The Pharisees and the Sadducees hated Jesus because he was different. Just being in the presence of our Lord condemned them, and they knew it. Just being in the midst of friends who aren't believers condemns them because they know their words their, their, that they use, the, the, the filth that comes out of their mouth. You see, the utter holiness of the Son of God condemned them in their innermost being. Their conscience is being assaulted. It's being assaulted over and over and over again. How do they live with us without these influences of of Christ and Christianity coming to them. So they need to get rid of them so they can have their so-called freedoms. Your holy living brings silent condemnation to their homosexuality and transgenderism. Your rejection of their filth and and your righteous living of any kind must not and cannot be tolerated. 152 genders... And their identities must be accepted? No, God created one man and one woman, period. Since we're talking about persecution, I thought I would go and and take a look at what is persecution today? I, I don't hear it very often. You don't hear it very often. I mean, we have this dear friend up in Edmonton who has his church separated uh, by three fences. The locks have been changed so that people can't get in there. They've been condemned for meeting. By the way, they do meet somewhere else now. But in the last year, I found these figures. 340 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. High levels of persecution and discrimination. 340 million. 4,761 Christians were killed last year for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked last year. This is just one year. 4,277 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. It's talking about my... My friend there, he had these two pastors were taken away. They held them for four hours, okay, in jail, then let them go. 
Why? Well, it's up, it disrupted the services. They didn't have the services then. Can you add the insults you received because you were so different from your neighbor, from your relatives? When you live for Jesus Christ, it should be happening. Loving your wife sacrificially should be part of that picture. Training your children in Christ should be part of that picture. Not falling into the trap of sordid conversation. I mean, we could go on and on and on with all of the things that that we as Christians should not be going near, but we do. Friends, expect persecution. Embrace it as a gift from God. God gift to you is going to be very personal. The gift tells you that you then are worthy. That gift of persecution tells you that you are worthy. Blessed, or as we know that word from past weeks, happy are those who are persecuted. I hope this message of the gospel reaches to your heart. Christianity is not just something that happens on Sunday. It's something that is in our life 24-7. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for these folks. Uh, I can't wait to be back with them. Lord God, protect them in your name. Amen.